before we get started with this episode, we wanted to thank everyone for your amazing support of this podcast. As our podcast community grows, we have added resources for each episode. So just visit our website to access blog posts and transcripts for each episode or follow us on social media and email us anytime with your podcast suggestions to melanatedmoments at classicalmusicindie.org. Welcome back to Melanated Moments in Classical Music. I'm Angela Brown. And I'm Joshua Thompson. Angela, today I understand that you have a person who was not only a reverend, a doctor, an author, and an ethnomusicologist, but she's also an aficionado on the life and music of the amazing Florence Price. Baby, she busy, ain't she? This is sound like it to me. <laughs> yes, she's all that and more. You know, I had the opportunity to be on a university panel discussion group with her during the lockdown. And she mm. was so charming and engaging and knowledgeable about the subject we were discussing. I was just intrigued and wanted to get to know her better. So we exchanged info and life went on. Well, then, as fate would have it, we ended up shooting a documentary in Chicago just a few months ago together. And we just had fun getting to know each other. She is sweet as she is smart. And talking about a round-the-way girl, hunting, <laughs> loving me some huh? She is my kind of people, down to earth. Somehow, we got to talking about melanated moments, and you know how we do. Mm -hmm. Honey, I just was like, um, so, um, would you like to come on to the show? And she was <laughs> like, well, what would we talk about? And she said, well, you know, I am an aficionado on Florence Price. I said, girl, that's what we could talk about. <laughs> we could talk about Miss Florence Price. And here she is. And I tell you, we're just excited to have her. Absolutely. Angela, now you know I'm excited to get into all of the stuff and things about Florence Price. But if you don't mind, for myself and for our listeners out there, could you give us just a little bit more background on our distinguished and special guest today? Well, I guess I'll take you all out of suspense. Dr. Jones is an associate professor in the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology and faculty director of the Globe Pop Music Initiative at Indiana University in Bloomington. Dr. Jones is a board member of the Society of Ethnomusicology, a member of the Strategic Planning Task Force for the American Musicological Society, and a chair, a co-chair of the Music and Religion section of the American Academy of Religion. Religion. Additionally, as a performer scholar, she consults museums, conservatories, seminaries, and arts organizations on curriculum, live and virtual event planning, and current development. Dr. Jones's book, Flaming, The Peculiar Theopolitics of Fire and Desire in Black Male Gospel Performance, breaks ground by analyzing the role of gospel music making in constructing and renegotiating gender identity among Black men. Now say wow. that 10 times fast. Wow. Okay. Oh, man. Her, uh -huh. Her research interests extend 
to global pop music, musics of African diaspora, music and food, the music industry and the marketplace, and anti-oppressive ways of listening to Black women. Calm down. We got a little neck roll and you're going to hear us now. Just calm (laughs) down. All right. Raised as a Pentecostal inflected non-denominational Christian, Reverend Dr. Jones is a fourth generation preacher on both sides of her family. Okay, rightly dividing the word of God. (laughs) A little known fact is that Dr. Alicia Lola Jones and her sister, Reverend Angela Marie Jones, you know I'm an Angela Marie, uh-huh, are co uh-huh, co-owners of Paradise Media Group, a Black woman-owned radio company based in Oxford and Henderson, North Carolina, continuing the multimedia work pioneered by their parents, Reverend Dr. Alvin Augustus Jones and Reverend Dr. Martha Butler Jones. Reverend Dr. Alicia Lola Jones is newly wed to Reverend Calvin Taylor Skinner, her partner in both ministry and love. Next year, she will be joining the music faculty of the University of Cambridge in England, child, as an associate professor. It is our esteemed pleasure to welcome to Melanated Moments in Classical Music, Reverend Dr. Alicia Lola Jones, girl. Hey. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So good to be here. Welcome. We're excited to have you. Thank you for taking time and making time to spend the afternoon with us today. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way on a Friday. I love it. Well, you're going to have it the way you want it. So here you are. We're excited to have you with us, Dr. Alicia Lola Jones. Before we get into the who, the what, and the why of everything, um, if it's okay, I'm just going to take a little moment to give a very, if Cliff Notes had Cliff Notes, a cursory overview to our listeners about our subject matter today, which is Florence Price. So she was born Florence Beatrice Price, April 9th, 1887, and died on June 3rd, 1953, and was an absolutely prolific American classical composer, pianist, organist, and music teacher. Price is noted as the first African-American woman to be recognized as a symphonic composer and the first to have a composition played by a major orchestra. She has composed numerous works for symphonies, for concertos, as well as choral works, plus art songs, and music for chamber and solo instruments. And since we have the expert here with us, she will fill in all of the gaps. But I do have a question for you, Dr. Jones. Um, Sure. Angela's given us the 411 about you being a black, you know, nerd or a blurred. You're in good company for that, (laughs) like myself. So if you can just kind of tell us, what was your journey in research? Where did it start? And and how did it come to center around African-American composers and musicians and this diasporic buffet of awesomeness that you do? Well, again, I just want to thank you both for creating this space to really center our stories as African-Americans, Black music makers and listeners. I think this is so important, especially because of how you both are are esteemed within our field. It, It matters to be able to get your perspective in these ways. For me, my journey starts with uh, the the most important 
institution in our community, in our culture, and it is the Academy of the Black Church. All right now. I believe that if we're going to talk about public arts education, we must talk about the importance of music development and training through the Black Church, regardless of faith tradition. I know Uh who do not subscribe to Christianity. However, it was through the quote unquote Black Church that they were able to get exposure to various concert music, popular music, the sort of musical discipline necessary to make it as a working musician. And that was a part of my route as well. I um, went on to participate in the Washington Performing Arts Society. At that point, it's now just the Washington Performing Arts. And through that organization, um, not only did I have like my first audition as a preteen, but I um, was exposed to composers and musicians like Richard Smallwood, yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. trained vocalist and pianist mm-hmm. out of Howard University, as well as Nolan Williams, yes. who went to my alma mater, Oberlin. Mm-hmm. And I was just so inspired by them. Um, Evelyn Simpson Currington, yes, sister yes. of. Uh, the diva Marietta Simpson, my my oh. colleague here at IU. Yes, we had a whole procession of versatile musicians through that uh, program, and I began to follow their stories. I noticed that they had some sort of formal training in mm-hmm. music. I noticed that many of them also did some training in theology. Oh. Um, and they really were lifelong learners. And on some level, I thought mm-hmm. that's what I needed to do. Um, I went to Duke Ellington School for the Arts and Mm -hmm. then Oberlin Conservatory, where I uh, pursued vocal performance. And yet I knew that research was something that I gravitated toward. And I became one of those blurs in the library, (laughs) one of those library assistants. And I was really led by the, the need for repertoire. Um, mm-hmm. for my recitals, you know, going down okay. that wormhole back when it was still cool to, you know, listen to LPs and cassettes, uh-huh. yes. gather around the whatever, you know, machine uh, was available mm-hmm. to listen with friends. Those wormholes were my uh, refuge in finding my own musical heritage mm-hmm. and really knitted me with the the Black um musicians that were at Oberlin at my conservatory at the time. And I, I will tell you that um, that particular moment actually birthed forth several musicians who are conscious, who are um, doing new works and who mm-hmm. have decided to make contributions to the body of literature. Uh, okay. That's just the cliff notes, but... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> girl, because you could talk and I love it. I love it. I'm here for yes, it. Yes. So now you are at school. You are in the libraries, the music libraries, and yes. you're searching for music yes. to sing for your recitals. Yes. And how did you happen to fall in love with the subject of Florence Price and her music? You know, I appreciate this question largely because... Much of the coverage of our ancestor, Florence Price, has mm-hmm. been this sort of musical columbusing where folks are saying they're mm. discovering 
Okay, I almost swallowed wrong. She said mm-hmm. musical Columbus sing. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. honey, searching. You know and, and, and it was already somebody there. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Chris, you know what I mean. You know, this discovery of the music that we have been seeking for quite some time and, and keeping alive, practicing for quite some time. When I um, was in conservatory almost uh, a little over two decades ago, I did the whole journey of finding William Grant uh, Steele and R. Nathaniel Dead and uh, Margaret Bonds. And there was a a music shop. Remember those sheet music shops that we all... Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I went down that wormhole and I found this lovely yellow book you might have seen of African-American... Uh, women yes. composers. That uh-huh. lovely got it. book. <laughs> I got that book, and it just so happened that when I returned back to campus, preparing for I think my senior recital, I heard a woman singing this music in her studio, and I went to the door, and I was like, "Who is this?" And it was a visiting, <laughs> it was a visiting professor, Professor mm-hmm. Patricia Miller, who oh. is a mezzo soprano. Uh, mm-hmm. out of the D.C. area, and she had that book in her possession, and she was preparing for a recital. And it mm-hmm. was her activating that space after hours in the conservatory that really uh, made me run and find the sheet music and uh-huh. and learn it myself. And so we've been on, as we say. <laughs> I know that's All right. right. Yeah. I know that's okay. right. <laughs> so then Florence Price was uh, a composer that was good friends with a lot of heady people yeah. of her time, yeah. like Marian Anderson. And I uh, I read that she and Margaret Bonds were roommates. Absolutely. At, at one point. So how does Florence Price get this music to Marian Anderson for her to sing on that oh. fateful day? You know, Marian Anderson like many of the women of her elk at this time, really became a, I I describe her as an impresario of this moment in the sense that we know through the papers at the University of Pennsylvania, for example, uh, that Marian Anderson would receive compositions from women all the time of various um, identities, uh, racially Mm -hmm. and socioeconomically. And it just so happened that Marian Anderson, her famous uh, 1919 debut in Chicago before the National Association of Negro Musicians, um, who is celebrating over 100 years of musical uh, fraternity, um, she debuted there. And that happens to also be the community that Florence Price entered into and really became a leader. And and they spent uh, a large part of their careers collaborating. We can see uh, within the papers that Marian Anderson has deposited at at UPenn uh, receipts Mm -hmm. from uh, getting commissioned works prepared. We also know, as you know, in our work with uh, Marian Anderson's legacy Mm -hmm. that it was Florence Price's music, My Soul's Been Anchored in the Lord, that 
was uh, placed at the culmination of that famous 1939 Uh Resurrection Sunday recital on the mall, which is auspicious for any composer Uh to be placed last and with their full name in a recital program. Exactly. I would like to also highlight that Florence Price, her her daughter, we, we can see correspondence from her daughter communicating with Marian Anderson about how that relationship actually uh, really was important for her financially over the years as she experienced the ups and downs of being a woman in a male-dominated yes. career. Right. And, and a musician. Yes. <laughs> yes. And without that money, um, there was no way that uh, Florence Price um, would have been able to send her daughter through school. And so sisterhood is really mm-hmm. exemplified in, in that relationship and many of the relationships that uh, Florence Price cultivated once she arrived in Chicago from uh, Arkansas. Right. Well, let's take the time now to listen to Leontine Price singing My Soul's Been Anchored in the Lord. Yes. So Dr. Jones, it's one of those, I'm not a vocalist. I'm a, an instrumentalist. So a lot of times when I hear some of these pieces, I listen behind the vocalist and good grief, the amount of texture and color and tension and release and swells that is building around this seemingly simple and very thematic statement. It's, 
wild. She's simple and complex mm-hmm. at the same time. This was ah gorgeous. Yeah, oh, absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. And it's sung by Mama Leontine Price. Absolutely, Ain't that it. Mm. And the relatability, yeah, yeah. the relatability there. You know, this is yeah. her and her seasoned uh, uh, era of her her career, right? And if when I hear <laughs> this rendition, I think of how, you know, in many ways she brings her cultural self, which, you know, often mm-hmm. we're asked to mute that. But I appreciate that that the diva, Leontine Price, teaches us that it's okay to come as we are in this regard. Definitely, definitely. That asks me with another question for you, Dr. Jones, mm-hmm. is um, you're, she's positioned as a woman, but she's also a black woman. And there's a lot of things from her time that we are still addressing and dealing with today. You mentioned, you know, sisterhood. And how does any person of color, black person specifically, make a living during this time? And then you're adding this extra compounding layer of her femininity. Does she address that in her personal life? Does it show up in her works? How is she navigating all of this? And perhaps are there blueprints that maybe she has left some of us to pick up on and carry further into the 21st century. Yeah. So Florence Price's story is really a case study in identity, right? Because we have to remember that um, during this time period, women in general were not thought to be composers. Right. Femininity was thought to be something that would would be heard in their compositions. And so she had that barrier as she decided to pivot from being a pianist, being an organist, to being a composer. Um, But even earlier than that, you know, entering this professional domain, having divorced her husband Mm -hmm. after, you know, the tensions of being uh, a part of the Black elite in Arkansas, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. there's, There's some crunchy parts about her past that folks have navigated with regard to race. Um, At that time, people might have described her as mulatto, which, Uh you know, can be, it is a problematic term. Yes, it is. Yes. But it is a a way that her family members try to to deal with racist um, structures in society. For example, when she attended Mm -hmm. New England Conservatory, which was one of the very few conservatories that allowed African-Americans to attend, we find through research by people like Dr. Uh, Doug Shadle and Dr. Samantha Ege that in many ways her mom made provisions for her to pass as a Spanish woman. Mm. A Spanish woman. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, to the point that her mother secured a maid for her so that she would be presented as elite, Spanish, and uh, belonging there, that her Blackness would not be mm-hmm. a distraction. Also, wow. we can wow. see in her daughter's correspondence that um, her family actually kind of returned to those strategies uh, when she became an adult. Um, she distanced herself from sharing her mother's uh, estate with Black musicians, really tiring of the under-resourced organizations that she had to deal with. So identity racially, socioeconomically, 
really is mm-hmm. um, illustrated through her life. And, you know, um, while we revere her, she she did have family members that constantly tugged at her talking about how she would have so much more advantage if she would just, you know, embrace this, this quote unquote gift or privilege of being of lighter hue. Wow. <laughs> well, we're going to ooh, further unpack that, but let's <laughs> listen now to Mrs. Samantha Eggy and the Fantasy Negra.
just yes, bravo, oh, right? Oh, bravo, oh, yes. honey, bravo. Woo, Doctor Smith. Yeah. Mm. I I love this. So, Doctor Jones, I noticed I I play uh, Florence Price's uh, Sonata in E okay. minor. That's about the only one I can get my fingers around, right? Because she's she epic over this. <laughs> what I really like about this is, you know, within Black classical music, but just classical music in general, you know how there's composers who, if you listen to them mm-hmm. enough and play enough of the repertoire, you recognize right, their right. And I love that because I hear so much of any movement from her sonata in E minor. I hear so much of her symphony. And mm-hmm. E minor in this piece. Yes. And, and I love being able to point that out. But I understand you have a personal connection with the woman who was just blazing uh, yeah. on that recording, Dr. Samantha Eggy. Can you tell us, Eggy, I'm sorry, can you tell us what that connection is and maybe the personal significance that you find between the three of you right. women continuing this sisterhood? Oh, right? thank you. Yeah, I, I actually encountered Dr. Samantha Eggy when she read a article I wrote for NPR and the message of sisterhood that was emphasized in the collaboration between Marian Anderson and Florence Price is just one sisterhood um, of many that Florence Price fostered. It resonated with her and she actually uh, composed a, a medley uh, illustrating another sisterhood between Florence Price and um, Margaret Bonds. She also mm-hmm. actually in her work, she has about two uh, books coming out. One is the Cambridge Companion uh, that will be looking at Florence Price's work and a biography she's co-writing with Doug Shadle. And in it, she gets to this question we have here of, of how um, Florence Price maintains uh, her cultural identity throughout. Yeah. yeah, right. This symphony in E minor that we know of is is kind of like the thing that composers did, right? There was always a symphony in mm-hmm. E minor that was a way of showing that you have the chops as a composer. Yeah. But yeah. she was a part of, of of one of the two major camps at the time. One was of, of a folk stance where they believed that we as we are, as um, artisans, as Black folk, have plenty of natural material within our culture that can be used in the concert setting. And then there were those represented by her mom and sister who were more assimilationist, who really took Mm. to the Eurocentric approach to life and to music. Uh, she She was an outlier in her family, absolutely. So this, this is somewhat almost reminds me, and correct me if I'm wrong, this almost reminds me of that debate that's going on at the same time in the Black community between your Booker T. Washingtons and your W.E.B. Du Bois, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. there was, it, you know, it resonated throughout the Harlem Renaissance, right? Mm-hmm. Chicago mm-hmm. Renaissance of Black women composers. There was a whole colony of Black women composers, uh, which is part of the reason why she found affinity with Margaret Bonds and her mother, because there was a whole culture of Black women making music during uh, the early 20th century. And at that time, there was a a very heated debate about how we progress as a people, how we want to be represented on the world stage. And she had a lot of courage, even though there were people tugging on her to uh, draw from convenience. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, I just want to say that we have 
dine sufficiently on everything Florence Price. And and really, we've only scratched (laughs) the surface. We've only scratched the surface, but it's just so long this podcast is. We want to end with the beautiful haunting at the feet Mm. of Jesus. That was Dr. Ollie Watts Davis singing her rendition of At the Feet of Jesus. And you know, that's where I would like for all of us to be. And we have had such a wonderful time hosting you on Melanated Moments, Dr. Alicia. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for seeing the sisterhood that we had. Um, And I appreciate being in that circle with you. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I'm full. And (laughs) I just just thank you for shepherding us through this fascinating take on the life and music of Florence Price. So until next time, I'm Angela Brown. And I'm Joshua Thompson. And And this has been Melanated Moments in Classical Music.
Melanated Moments in Classical Music is a production of Classical Music Indie. Our producer is Ezra Baker Trupiano. Season three production assistants are Okara Imani and Samantha Hoyer. Our theme music was composed by Lara Carton. Season three of Melanated Moments in Classical Music was made possible in part by Jim and Sarah Lutens. We thank them for their generous support. As a fan of this award-winning podcast, we need your help today to create future episodes. You can make season four a reality by texting MMCM to 202-858-1233. Your support includes exclusive content, playlists, and other perks to thank you for helping us share the stories of even more exceptional Black artists on the podcast. Our podcast educational partner is Morning Brown Incorporated. And finally, if you'd like to join us in the celebration of the Black experience in the world of podcasting, check out our friends at the Black Podcasting Awards website. <laughs> <laughs>